2. If you're able to stand tonight, let's stand for the reading of the Word of God, Romans chapter number 2. As we continue in our series, we've had a few uh, Sunday nights where we've uh, had a detour, but we'll just stay at it as we're going through the book of Romans. And uh, we're getting into chapter number 2. We've uh, already had, I believe it's four different messages. Uh, of course, one was an introductory type of message as we started this series, Having a Right Standing with God from the book of Romans. And uh, the first eight chapters are some very profound, uh, very uh, full of doctrine, uh, things that will help us to, as, our, as far as being grounded uh, in our relationship with the Lord. And then we'll move on from uh, chapters one through eight into another section of the book as time goes on. But the, the uh, chapter one, of course, as uh, we got past the, the greeting that Paul gave here to those in Rome, the believers in Rome, chapter one, when we got to uh, verse number 18, notice what it says in chapter one, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, notice these words, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So uh, from that last time we were together in the book of Romans, we talked about in chapter number one how we see from the end of chapter one how that the heathen, as the Bible oftentimes puts it, is guilty before God. Tonight we get into chapter number two and we see that there's a new defendant now that takes the stand in this case against mankind. And I want to begin reading in verse number one of chapter two, and notice the first word in verse number one of chapter number two. The first word is what? Therefore. therefore. Now, years ago, a preacher told me, he says, look, when you see the word therefore, it's there for a reason. And so when you see that word, what you want to do, and we won't tonight, but you want to back up and see what came right before this word here, because understand that God gave his word in thought patterns. So even though we see a number, for instance, chapter 2, uh, it could just be a continuation of what, what God was talking about in chapter number 1. Everybody with me so far? Just trying to give you a little context and understanding of where we are in this particular study. Now, in chapter 2, verse number 1, the Bible says, Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, Whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that's the second time in three verses that he said they're doing the same things. Pay attention to that. He says that thou shalt shall escape the judgment of God, or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, 
to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearer of, hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Can you say a mouthful? <laughs> that is a lot right there. And we're going to, with God's help, we're going to go through this tonight, and hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. And let's pray as we get started. Lord, thank you again for the Word of God, for the tremendous passage that we're about to study. God, may you allow me to say what you want said and not to say things that you do not want to be said. Lord, may you speak to us. May your Holy Spirit guide us and to teach us here about the truth. Uh, Lord, we live in a day where so many are living a hypocritical life. And I pray that you'd help us to understand that we need to live a life that is genuine and real uh, before this world that we live in. God, help us to not uh, be judging others. Lord, I pray that we would be focused on our own life, God, that we would live a life that is pleasing to you. And help us also to reach out to those that are living in sin. Lord, may we not judge them, but may we reach out to them with compassion. The way you loved us, that's the way we should love them. A blessing again tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Now, as you look at these verses that we studied tonight, we, I will use this word, and you'll see tonight from the passage that I'm using the word hypocrite. And we saw last time in chapter 1 how that the, the heathen was guilty before God. We get to chapter number 2, and we come across these individuals that are fooling themselves into believing that they will not come under the condemnation of God, the judgment of God, the wrath of God, the way that the heathen will, and that they believe that they are better than, than the heathen. This individual, the hypocrite, is convinced that God's condemnation is reserved for the Gentiles only, using the word that oftentimes you would see in the Bible as the word dogs, that they would look down on people that were without, that were not able to come nigh that were not committed unto them, the oracles of God, and these would be anyone other than a Jew, they would be known as Gentiles 
which many of us here in this auditorium tonight are by even our birth. Now, the hypocrite is an individual that thinks he's moral and he's not a pagan. They have a certain thought process of who they are. We see that as you look at the passage here, and tonight we'll get into this, that God refutes these very weak pleas by showing that these individuals in chapter number two, that they are doing the same basic things that heathens do. The only difference is that they are doing them in maybe a more refined way. They're doing them differently, and therefore they think that they are better than because they are moral in their own minds. Now, just to help you understand this process of this hypocritical thinking, take your Bible, hold your place here in Romans, but go with me over to Second uh, Samuel tonight, Second Samuel chapter number 12 in your Bibles, Second Samuel chapter number 12. And I, I want to share with you or show you an example of sometimes we see these, these hypocritical uh, approaches to others. And you'll know this story once we get into it. But in 2 Samuel chapter number 12, look what the Bible says beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, The Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him, and he said unto him, There were two men in one city the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. You know, I remember years ago whenever we were uh, we had uh, a boy and a girl dog, and, and uh, we, we decided that we were going to try this thing of breeding our, our dogs, and uh, it was a way for us to participate in some of the offerings that God had led our pastor to do in our church. And I remember when our dogs started having litters of puppies that we would always tell our girls, don't get attached to these animals and don't name them. You know, and it's so easy for people to get attached. And sure enough, every time our daughters would start naming them and adopting them, and it just made it that much harder when we had to let them go. That's exactly what the, the analogy here is in 2 Samuel is this lamb, this ewe lamb, was brought into the house. It was treated just like it was one of the family. And I want you to notice as we read on tonight, it says in the next verse, and there came a traveler unto the rich man and he spared to take uh, he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him and david's anger was kindled or greatly kindled against the man and he said to nathan as the lord liveth the man that hath done this thing shall surely die and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now, you know the rest of the story, right? Remember how Nathan gets into his face and he says to David, anybody remember what he said? Thou art the man, right? He says, David, that's you, buddy. This whole story. David, David's like, what? That's me. What are you talking about? 
you know, and that's the way many times people are. That's exactly the way we see here in Hebrews or in Romans chapter number two is these people with this thinking that is hypocritical. A hypocrite, as you see there on the screen, is the word that comes from a word by meaning actor. In other words, a hypocrite has learned that in many cases what they'll do is they'll, they'll live a double life. Uh, and by the way, you think about how many Christians that they're one way on Sunday and they live like the devil the rest of the week. And there's a lot of people that are living a double life. And the result of living a double life or being a hypocrite, being an actor, is that according to the Bible, that type of person is unstable in all his ways. Do you remember Jacob? He had all those sons. His firstborn, anybody remember the name of him? Reuben. And the Bible describes Reuben as unstable as water. You know, you think about a person that lives a hypocritical life, they're one way to one person, they're one way to, they are unstable in all their ways, just like Reuben was unstable as water. See, the hypocrite, what he does is he tries to hide behind the excuse of comparison. Uh, People make a living out of this, you know, I'm not as other people are. I'm not like that. I'm better than that. And this is the type of person in in verse number one, if if you notice here what God's assessment comes back to this person who believes that they're better by comparison, God says, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. My pastor used to always say to me, and some of you have probably heard this, but when you're pointing a finger at someone else, there's always three fingers pointing back at you. And that's exactly what it's saying here in verse number one. This is an individual that is just as guilty as the ones that he is saying is guilty before God. See, the hypocrite measures himself against those that are around him. Now, can I tell you, if you're going to measure yourself by those around you, that's the wrong standard to measure yourself by. The standard that we need to measure ourselves by is Jesus. We need to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at this passage, I want to give you some primary principles that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, uses when it comes to this matter of judging the hypocrite. This individual that thinks that he's better than other people. Notice the first principle used to judge the hypocrite is he is judged according to the truth. Look back in verse number two. The Bible says, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to what? To truth. Now look at this. The judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such Things. Now, again, you could go all the way back into chapter 1, those things that, that long list of things that we went through. But notice here that this individual, just like we saw in chapter 1, is a person that has tried to hide or to suppress the truth. He's living a lie, and he's done it for so long that the truth catches up to him. His life is being judged by the truth. 
if you read the Word of God long enough, here you do understand this, that the Bible says that it is a mirror that when we look into the perfect law of liberty, that God's Word will show us the imperfections in our lives. And that's why the Bible says here in John 17, 17, sanctify them, Jesus said, through thy truth, thy word is truth. So notice that the hypocrite is going to be judged according to the truth. Now again, who or what is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. So again, understand the standard here that the hypocrite is being judged by. Notice the second principle used to judge the hypocrite is the hypocrite is judged according to his deeds. Now, there's a lot of people today that are living by what they do. A lot of religions today are, are based on a performance. They're based on works, the types of things that we do. Folks, understand that, that you and I, that everything we do will come into judgment. Look what it says here in chapter number 2 and verse number 6 of this chapter. Notice what the Bible says about God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Notice every man, the Bible says. And as we look at this, the hypocrite is one that, like many today, is trying to do certain works. And the works that he has tried to do, he's rendering those works to God, but his works will now be made shown, that they will be shown, and as they're shown to God, they, they are nothing more than, than worthless or just like filthy rags, worth absolutely nothing. And look what the Bible says when you think about this. Isaiah said, we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Romans 3.20, the Bible says clearly there, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So it's not in the things that we do. And yet this hypocrite who is guilty before God, he believes that if he does certain things, he'll be okay. But the Bible says here that he will be judged according to his deeds. Not only judged according to the truth, judged according to his deeds, but notice thirdly, a third principle is he will be judged impartially. Now this is one thing I love about God is that as you think about this, this word impartial, it, it means that they're going to be judged fairly, that they're going to be judged justly or unbiased. Look what it says in this chapter in verse number 11. It says, for there is no respect of persons with God. Let's read that verse together. For there is no respect... Yeah, so again... God doesn't favor one over the other. You know, boy, if you have children or had children, you get into big trouble when you say that this child is your favorite. Not a good thing to do. And again, it got, when it comes to God, God's going to judge the hypocrite impartially. Look what the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 10, and there's so many other verses, but here Peter opens his mouth and he says, of a truth. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. God's going to judge all men equally and justly. God doesn't turn a blind eye to hypocrisy. What does God do when he sees sin? Listen, 
Unlike us sometimes, when God sees sin, he deals with it. You see, oftentimes we think, boy, if I do something, that person might, look, folks, if you love them, you must deal with it. You must deal with sin. God is not a respecter of persons. God doesn't turn a blind eye. Look what it says in Isaiah 26 in verse 21. Behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. God's not going to just sit idly by while man, by the way, America thinks that it's getting away with the things that it's doing. God knows what's going on in our country. He knows what's going on in our hearts. And so understand tonight that, that Paul uses some principles here to, that the Bible describes judging this hypocrite in chapter number two. He will be judged according to the truth. He is judged according to his deeds. He is going to be judged impartially. And then fourthly, the, the hypocrite is going to be judged according to the gospel. Now, I'm not going to get all into this because this actually deals with where we ended our passage tonight, chapters uh, 2, verse number 16. This actually begins in verse 17 and goes down towards the end of the chapter, chapter number 2. But understand that the hypocrite is going to be judged according to the gospel. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that the hypocrite has ignored up to this point. We call the gospel the good news. And, and you think about how many people, you ever done that, gone to somebody's house or out in public and try to hand them a gospel track and say, hey, can I give you some good news? And they tell you no. I mean, listen, folks, you turn on the television channel 2, 4, 5, 10, there's not much good on the news. But God's given us something to talk about. That the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and when you think about all these principles that Paul uses to write here in chapter number two about the hypocrite standing before God guilty, when you think about all these thoughts, there are some lessons that I want to share with you tonight about this man that is a, a man that believes he's moral. In other words, a man that is self-righteous in his own mind. See, self-righteous people, notice first of all, and they, by the way, they'll make one of two major mistakes. The first one is this, that self-righteous people misunderstand the height of God's law. They misunderstand the height of God's law, what it all entails. The, the hypocrite wants everyone to think that he is living his life by the law. Now, there's a lot of people like this. For years, there's been many who believe that they are living and they want people to believe that they are living their lives according to the law of God. He wants people to believe that he's able to keep the law. Now, look what it says here in Luke chapter 18 in your notes. This one passage and there's others, but a certain ruler asked him saying, good master, what shall I, what's that next word? Do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, and that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And notice what he says to Jesus. All these have I kept 
from my youth up. He's like, check, check, yep, I'm a good little boy. From the time I was a little kid, I haven't, I haven't broken any of these. But see, the, the, the truth is, he doesn't really understand God's law. See, the hypocrite finds his self-worth, he finds his salvation in keeping the law. But when you think about this, a lot of times when you ask somebody about the commandments of God, a lot of times if they haven't studied the Word of God or maybe they're not, not saved, they think there are 10 commandments of God. Now certainly there were in the days when God gave the two tables of stone. But if you study the Bible, there's actually 613 commandments of God. Now think about that, trying to keep all the law trying to keep every last one of those. When you look at those, the laws that God gave, of the 613 commandments, uh, 365 of them are negative in nature. And as you look at these, it's clear from the Word of God that mankind is not able to keep all of these in his own flesh. Because our flesh is weak. We are prone to sin, to make mistakes in our lives. You can try to keep the law, but in your flesh, you are not able to do that. Look what James says, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of how much of it? Of all. So you, even just one offense. Look what it says again in verse number 12 of this passage. For as many as, uh, as have sinned without the law shall also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law, shall be judged by the law. Now, when you look at that, it's, it's basically saying here that the law will judge those who have tried to live by it. By the way, you can see from that verse there, it, it, it clearly, when he, when he says here, as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. That's describing the Gentiles. And then the last half of the verse is actually describing the Jews. As many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. So the law is going to judge those, even those that have tried to live by it. People are not sent to hell because they do not keep the law. The sin that renders mankind guilty is the imputed sin of Adam. In other words, we are born with an Adamic nature, that we are sinners by birth. And that is the reason that, that mankind, is, unless he comes to know Christ as his Savior, will spend eternity without the Lord. See, those that have the law committed unto them, which was the Jews, according to this passage in verse number 12, they will be judged by that same law. Look what it says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 1. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly, that unto them was committed the oracles of God. See, the Gentiles did not have the law. They were not given the word of God the way the Jews were. They were not entrusted with it. And, but I will tell you this, that according to Romans chapter number 2, there's going to be a reckoning day in all of our lives. And when you think about this reckoning day, it is going to be a reckoning of imputed sin, which is the Adamic nature. Look, you don't have to do anything to go to hell, just be born. See, that's imputed sin. 
but there's also going to be a reckoning of actual sin. That is willful sin, known sin. In other words, things that we do in our lives, and that reckoning day will happen to all of us. Now, self-righteous people, they misunderstand the height of God's law. In regards to that law, listen very carefully, and I know that you probably know this, but the law itself has no power to save a person. Only Jesus saves. We've got to help this world understand that. Look at Romans 8.3. For what the law could not do. You see it very clearly right there. In that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Look at verse number 13 tonight of our, of our passage. It says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Remember what James said, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer. Okay, so notice as the, we look at this verse, it's not the hearers, but the doers of the law that will be justified. The truth is, we cannot do the law. Listen to me. We cannot do the law without Christ in us. You see, the Lord is the one that enables us, that helps us, that changes our hearts, that causes us to want. You look at the life of the Apostle Paul. Certainly, he had the knowledge of God. He had the knowledge of the Word of God. But what he was missing was a personal relationship with God. When he came to know Christ as his Savior, everything in his life changed. I think, I think it was very fitting that God used that same man to write these words, these doctrinal words tonight for us to understand that you and I and no one can ever do the law without Christ in us. It is not, as the Bible says, it's not the letter of the law that's important. It's the spirit of the law. See, so many people miss that. You think about the spirit of the Pharisees in the days of Jesus. These were the religious elite of the day. And their attitude towards the Son of God, towards Jesus Christ, and the Bible tells us that it's not about the letter, it's about the Spirit. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter, what's that word? killeth, but the Spirit does what? The Spirit giveth life. See, if there's one thing that you and I should be known for as God's children, as Christians, is we have the right spirit towards others. That our spirit would be right. And this is what we see here is it's the spirit of the law. See, the law will accuse us. Just like it was accusing those here in chapter number two. And the verdict, according to this passage, comes back that the self-righteous man is guilty before God. Why? Because he misunderstands the height of God's law. But notice a second fault 
that sometimes that they make this mistake is self-righteous people sometimes will underestimate the depth of their own moral conduct. Now again, this is where we see these self-righteous people, they view themselves as moral. They have a desire to have, watch this, the fruit of Christianity without having the root of Christianity. If you're saved tonight, listen, you, you have the right foundation. You have the right root. And from that root, there's going to be the right fruit in your life. But see, they desire to have fruit, but they don't want to have the right root. And God knows as these people are this way that, first of all, look at this, they underestimate the knowledge of God. I mean, you know, mankind today thinks that he knows more about God. It, it always tickled me sometimes when I would have classes, and I didn't have a lot, but I would have classes with freshmen at the college, and these freshmen would come to the college, and it was amazing to me how these freshmen knew more than anybody else in the school. You know, they're just so smart. And it was always a humbling experience whenever the first test was passed back after they had taken it, and they realized how little they really did know. See, there are people today who think they know better than God. They think they know more than God. And these people, according to this passage, they underestimate the very knowledge of God. Can I give you a, just a sampling tonight of the knowledge of God? Because according to the Bible, God knows the number of stars. He calls them all by names. God knows What's, what's in our thoughts and, and our words. The Bible says, Thou art acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word in my tongue. But lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it all together. God knows the number of stars. He knows our thoughts and our words. He knows the number of hairs on a man's head. Now, for some, that's not many. But according to, this, to the Word of God, God knows, and they're all numbered. You know, God knows everything. God knows the past. God knows the present. God knows the future. God knows what, what might have been. And you think about those and so many other things that God knows about. And yet, with all that in mind, this self-righteous man, what does he do? He underestimates God. And so notice, not only does he underestimate the knowledge of God, but he despises the goodness and forbearance of God. Look in verse number four again. Here's what it says. Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and the forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Now, when you look at this, and there's some tremendous words here, because this, this moral man, he despises the goodness of and forbearance of God. The word despise, it means literally to belittle, to look down upon. Now, who's he looking down upon? He's looking down upon God. The Bible says he despises God. Look at the word there, forbearance. Now, get a hold of this, write this down. What is it? It's the act of God. Here's what to forbear is. By the way, this is an act of God. It's God holding back his wrath. Now you go back to chapter 1, remember what it said, the righteousness of God is revealed. So when God forbears the forbearance of God, what is God doing? God's holding back his wrath. Now, as long as I can remember as a kid growing up, I can't ever, ever remember my dad forbearing. 
I always receive the wrath. But see, God has the ability to forbear. If you look at the passage again, it says here again in, in, in this passage, uh, in verse number, um, where were we at? Verse number four. He says, Thinkest thou, O man, that, that judges the, or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, knowing not that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So he says, look, you're looking down on God. The forbearance, God is holding back his wrath. Well, how about the word goodness? Goodness deals with God's act of holding forth his grace. Isn't that wonderful? God holds back his wrath and he holds forth his grace. People tell me all the time, you know, boy, God doesn't love me or God's not good to me. Hey, listen, God, you ever hear somebody say, how are you doing? They say, better than I deserve. There you go right there. Forbearance and goodness. God holds back his wrath, but he holds forth his grace. And it's amazing here how, how this moral man despises this goodness and forbearance of God. The hypocrite assumes that his morality, the way he lives his life, that it's going to excuse him from the judgment of God. But for man, there is no escaping God's judgment. When you think about this, there's no place that a man, that a person can go to flee from the presence of God. Look what it says here. In Psalm 1, or actually, if you want to turn there, Psalm 139 and verse number 7, listen to these verses. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. You can't go anywhere to get away from God. But this individual thinks that he can. And the only hope that this person in chapter number two, this moral man, this self-righteous man, the only hope that he has is to settle this matter out of court. That's the only hope that he has. See, this, this moral man is going to be judged by his conscience. God's given us uh, these things like uh, uh, conscience in each one of us and the creation that God has created. And these things will, will uh, again, bring thoughts against us and, and God will judge us because of our thoughts. Now look what it says in verse number 14 of this passage tonight. And I want you to notice these two verses. When the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Now, when you look at this, the Bible talks about the conscience, who has a conscience? Everyone. God's given to each one of us a conscience. Now, sometimes people think, 
well, you know, does everybody know about God? Or how will everybody, anybody, maybe somebody in the most remote part of the world, how will they ever find out about God? And I have to believe that the answer to that is, is that that is why God has saved us. You know, if, if you really look at it and you do the, the multiplication, if every Christian in this world would just be a witness for the Lord, we could reach the entire world with the gospel. But, but in spite of the witness, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, God has given us his creation that actually testifies of him, and God's given us a conscience. And that conscience is something that each one of us have. By the way, it's, it's, it's always a wonderful thing that your conscience would be right with God. So many times people are bothered because their conscience is not clear. And so I want to give you from the Word of God, not just this passage tonight, the Bible lists different types of consciences that man can have. Now look at this first one, and of course it, it talks about here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, a good conscience. This is the kind of a conscience that's free from guilt. Look what the Bible says in two verses in 1 Timothy 1, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of a faith unfeigned, holding faith, and a good conscience, which some, having put away that good conscience concerning faith, have made shipwreck. See, we need to have a conscience that is free from guilt, that we're not bothered by something that was sin in our lives. We need to keep a short account with God uh, instead of thinking that we're better than others. And so one conscience the Bible describes is a good conscience. Second conscience mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is a weak conscience. A weak conscience. This would be one that is an ill-informed conscience. One that has been perverted. This is one that, that you have a sense of guilt. Notice it says here in this verse, when you, when you sin so against the brethren, when you sin and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. There's a lot of, of history there. Folks, look, when we do something in our lives and somebody might be weaker in the faith and we cause them to stumble, their conscience is weak. And, 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 and again, that's something that we're going to stand and give an answer to God because we have hurt their conscience. We have wounded them according to this passage. And look, we need to make sure that we have a good conscience and not a weak conscience, one that's, uh, that's been perverted and ill-informed. What's a third kind of conscience in the Bible? A convicting conscience. I'm always glad for God's work in my life, but one that is a conscience that, that is convicting means that there's rebuke, there's reproof in our, in our conscience. We, we've been made to know that something's not right. Look, if you're saved and the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, the Holy Spirit of God will show you, speak to you, and reveal to you that you ought not to say that, be with these people, be at this place, or whatever it may be. And so many times the conscience will be made aware. John 8, and verse number 9, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Now this is the passage with the woman taken in adultery. Here they are, each one of them got a big rock in their hand. And, 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 you know, many people believe that this was all staged, it was set up, 
uh, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that, uh, that if, if a, they were caught in the act of adultery, that they were supposed to bring the adulterer and the adulteress. They didn't bring the man. They only brought the woman. Now, maybe it was going on. Maybe it wasn't. But it was amazing when Jesus spoke the words that he did, they all dropped their rocks, being convicted in their own conscience and left. Sounds to me like they realized because of their conscience that they were sinners too, just like the woman that they had brought before Jesus. And many times what happens is, is that our conscience will be convicted. Notice a fourth conscience in Titus chapter 1 is a defiled conscience. The Bible mentions this. This, this word defiled. Here's what it means. It means something that may be of, of a certain color and you dye it with another color. You change the color of it, you stain it, or you pollute it. That's what it means to be defiled. It, the Bible says in Titus 1.15, Under the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. I've known people that I went to Bible college with. I've known people that used to be sitting in a church just like this, but their, their mind, their conscience has become defiled. And that happens sometimes is there's a change, there's a pollution that takes place. The conscience is defiled. And then notice the last one mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 4 is a seared conscience. This is one, notice I, I left it till last, this matter of searing something, if you've seared meat, or maybe some of you ladies have maybe been curling your hair with a curling iron or a flat iron, and you, you touch your finger, that your finger is sensitive. What happens is that over, this, over the course of time, that, that sensitivity goes away. You become uh, not sensitive or desensitized. And this is exactly what happens to so many people's conscience. The Bible says, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, th these, are, these are all different types of conscience. But when you look back in verse number 14 of our passage, notice again what he says here, when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or excusing or else excusing one another. So this, this, this matter of the conscience that he brings us to at the end of this passage dealing with this moral hypocritical man, the conscience is not a guide. What the conscience is is it's a goad. It's something that pricks us. This matter of the conscience, it incites us, it spurs us, it urges us. And so I want to I admonish you tonight, listen to me, child of God, is that the conscience must be educated, but it also must be monitored by the Word of God. Let me say that again. Your conscience needs to be educated but it needs to be monitored by the Word of God. We need to make sure that, our, that, that we're filling our, our heads and our hearts, our minds with the Word of God. The conscience is the mental faculty by which man judges his actions and he passes sentence thereon. 
the conscience bears witness to the fact that man lives in a moral universe and ultimately man is answerable to God. Let me say that again. We live in a moral universe and ultimately mankind is answerable to the creator of this world, which is Almighty God. And that's what this individual in the beginning of chapter number two has forgotten or underestimates. Now look at verse 16 as we conclude tonight. Notice what the Bible says in this verse. It says, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. See, one day, here's what he says, one day the hypocrite, this individual's secrets, will all be exposed and he will show for who he really is. I hope you understand in your life tonight that, listen, our lives will be judged. And it's important that we see tonight the value of God's word and where the law plays the role and that we view ourselves. Listen, the standard is not those around us. The standard is the Lord Jesus himself and that we keep our eyes on the Lord and that we make sure that we, in, before God, are right with him and that our conscience is clear before God. Let's bow our heads tonight. Lord, thank you again. Thank you again for the word of God and how your word works in our hearts and lives. God, I think about so many people that, that have come to a place in their life where they believe that they're better than others, that they know more than even you do as God. Lord, there's a world out there that needs to hear the truth. We don't need to be mean-spirited with them. We just need to be loving but yet truthful. And I pray that you'd help us to see that as you begin to unfold the book of Romans and show us that all are guilty before God. That those that are heathen, those that are hypocrites, Lord, and next, next time we get together, we'll even look at the Hebrews. Lord, each one of them, according to these chapters, these verses, stand before you a holy and righteous God. And yet because of who we are, we are all guilty. And may we be reminded of that. God, that you have saved us. I pray that if there's someone here tonight that does not know you as Savior, that, Lord, that they would put their faith in you before it's eternally too late. Thank you again for the law that you've given, the direction that we receive from it, but we realize the law cannot save, and that's why we're so thankful for your son Jesus, for all that he's done for us, that our sins can be forgiven, that we can have a home in heaven. Now, Lord, I pray that you'd bless, help us to understand all that we've seen and heard tonight. God, may we, may we make the application in our own lives and help others to understand it. In your name we pray, amen.